my fault. Usually things are. There we go. As we uh, started Daniel, we've had a schedule and uh, of who's preaching what text. And then last uh, week, I um, contracted a small case of the COVID. And uh, so thank you, uh, Evan, for filling in uh, last minute. As uh, Adam said this morning, Evan is always ready to fill in. And so we are uh, grateful for his uh, love for the Lord and zeal to preach his word. And so well, this morning, we continue in our time through Daniel. So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 2, as we are uh, almost finished with chapter 2. Um, I believe James next week will finish up uh, the last part of the chapter as we get into chapter 3, one of uh, the, the classic stories as we uh, heard growing up, the, the uh, story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And so looking forward uh, to being in that text. But Daniel chapter 2 this morning, this is it. This is the, uh, we've been looking for this, this moment for the uh, past about four weeks as we started Daniel uh, 2, uh, as we'll, uh, we'll get to again this morning. But if you go to Daniel chapter 2, uh, it says that Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. We've been saying kind of a dream, but he had dreams, a dream. He had this dream and it was, uh, he was troubled. And so we've been looking to get to what is this dream and what does it mean? Uh, because he had this dream in it, he became very troubled, if you will. Nebuchadnezzar was stirred up. Uh, this past week, I invited Justin Underwood to speak to our, our construction company. And one of the things he talked about was being stirred up. Uh, whenever you kind of get in this frenzied state where you're, you, you can just kind of bother it at your core. Have you been there? You know the feeling? Surely, if you've lived uh, long enough, you know what it means to be stirred up and to be bothered when circumstances uh, around you kind of take a turn. And so this is where kind of Nebuchadnezzar uh, was. If you go to Daniel chapter 2, it says that he had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. And so started this, uh, this course that we've spent some time on this past month of Nebuchadnezzar being bothered by him being stirred up, him being troubled over this dream. And he was so troubled, he sought many people to come interpret his dream for him. And not just interpret it, but help him to remember it. As we, If you were uh, with us a few weeks ago, as we kind of walked through what that looked like, that uh, maybe he wasn't just tricking his wise men, but he really did forget uh, the dream that he had. And you've been there, right? You know you had some troubling dream or some oddity that you dreamt about the night before. And you forget the details, but you know it's good. You know it was worth remembering. So this is kind of where Nebuchadnezzar likely was. And so he called all of the wise men. No one could, uh, could, could remember his could tell him what his, dream, what his dream was, much less interpret it. Uh, so he decrees murder. He decrees death. He says, okay, if, you, if, no, if no one can do this, then you'll be killed. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so he sent out this decree in all the land that the wise men of Babylon uh, be killed if no one can interpret. And thus, in comes Daniel. And so Daniel gathers uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or uh, Daniel, Michelle, and Azariah, and they begin to pray. And the Lord gives them wisdom. The Lord gives them the answer. He gives them the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and the interpretation of it. And so this is kind of where we are. It's all been, been building up that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He sends the wise men. None can interpret. He uh, decrees they die. Daniel prays, God reveals, and then Daniel comes before the king last week uh, in our text to uh, uh, um, 
uh, Arioch, you know, we kind of get confused with Arioch and then Ashpenaz, all these guys. But Arioch, the executioner, brings Daniel before the king, and Daniel tells the king who he is and, and, and that uh, the Lord God in heaven uh, could reveal mysteries, and he does reveal mysteries. And so now as we come to verse 31, he is ready uh, for the dream to be revealed and interpreted. Uh, and I love this this text. I, and we've uh, as I've talked to the elders the past several weeks, and Evan and I talked last week, and Evan uh, uh, brought brought this to. Um I mentioned this last week, but I want to just kind of flesh it out a little more. Kind of, it's, this, it's something that has been present ever since chapter 2. Ever since Nebuchadnezzar has been stirred up. Ever since he has been bothered. Ever since uh, that he's had these dreams and he has not had this answer, he has had this longing. He has, this, he has had this unanswered question that no one in his court, no one in the land could answer what his dream was and what it meant. And so he had this longing, this, this unanswered question that he sought an answer to. And as, as we know as believers, and as we've seen in Daniel chapter 2, that only the Lord has an answer for it. Only the Lord has an answer to Nebuchadnezzar's longing, to his unanswered question. And it brought me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Go with me there because we're going to read a, um, a good little chunk of Scripture. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And you're going to see some connections to Daniel chapter 2. But 1 Corinthians 2, we'll start in verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So this revelation comes through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now there's a lot happening in this beautiful passage that Paul gives us in Corinthians. Um, and it's not an exact connection to Daniel chapter 2, but we see this similar truth here. We see this understanding that all, the wisdom, that truth, that understanding, that revelation only comes from the Spirit of God. And that those who do not have the Spirit of God in them do not even understand the Lord. The only, the, the only way you can understand the Lord is through the Spirit of the Lord. And so here is Nebuchadnezzar, this great and mighty king. And he has this, this unanswered question. He has, he's stirred up and he's bothered. He needs revelation. And the only revelation 
that will be of any aid to him is the revelation of the Lord that God uses through Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar's search for answers is not dissimilar from those of those today who look for what they cannot find. And this is what I find interesting in the, the story of Nebuchadnezzar. That is, his unanswered questions are not dissimilar from those today. Now, we don't necessarily have as many dreams uh, that, that bother us necessarily, but we have, and if you want to write something down, if you want to feel fancy, unanswered existential questions. I asked uh, my daughter this morning about, uh, do you know what existential means? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it means to think about the existence. <laughs> That's right, darling. Uh, unanswered existential questions. And I only give you this fancy word because it is a word even that we hear today. As people question existence, as they question reality, as they question life, just an example of some of these unanswered existential questions that we hear. What is the meaning of life? What is my purpose in this life? Is there a God? God, what happens when you die? And why am I so unhappy? And we hear these questions, and you likely hear these questions. Likely you've, a- you've asked yourself these questions. Maybe even sometimes, even as a believer, we ask ourselves these questions. But only believers have these answers. Not because we're better or smarter, but because we have the Word of God that answers these questions of our existence. Only God Almighty can answer these questions. And he answers them in the same way that he answered Nebuchadnezzar's dream through Daniel, and that is through revelation. And his revelation to, to us today is not elders going around with uh, interpreting dreams and visions, but it is his revelation through his word. And so therefore, as we read the Bible, we get to know the God of the Bible. And specifically, as we read Scripture, we see Christ revealed. And thus, we have answers to these questions. So what is the meaning of life? Is to glorify God. What is our purpose in this life? Is to live for the glory of God and enjoy Him forever. Is there a God? Absolutely, there is a God, and He has revealed Himself to us. What happens when you die? If you are in Christ, you live eternally with Christ in the presence of God. And if you live apart, if you die apart from Christ, then you live eternally apart from Christ and experience nothing but His wrath. And why am I so unhappy? It's because you lack the joy of the Lord. You lack the peace of God. And so these unanswered existential questions are answered right here in God's Word. And how does God use, how does God answer these questions through His Word? To the the lost today, He does so through His Word. People, not through dreams and visions, but through his people. You and I are called to be bearers of the gospel. We're not called just to gather on Sunday mornings and listen and to to like a sponge absorb it all and never share it. We are called to be bearers of the gospel. So all that's kind of an introduction. I just I wanted to for us to see that because it's been present ever since chapter two, and it's going to be present next week. It's going to be present throughout Daniel. This this thought, this idea that there is this unanswered longing question that Nebuchadnezzar has, that the world has today, that can only be answered by the Lord. And so God has Daniel there to bring clarity to the king, and that's what we see in Daniel chapter two: is this clarity. Excuse me. 
So let's read our text this morning. We're going to read it in two parts, uh, unlike normal, where we read the whole thing. We're going to read uh, the first part, work through it, and then read the back part because it's a, it's a long text. So Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 31. After Daniel brings, uh, or he sets himself up to bring clarity to the king, he says in verse 31, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. So he just jumps right in there. He just jumps right in there. Uh, here is what you dreamed. So you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of his image the head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image of its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff, the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text before us. Uh, we thank you for Daniel 2, uh, 31 through 45. Help us to see this morning, Lord, and hear not through our own wisdom and ability, but that through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, there's two things I want us to see. Three, I guess, if you count the introduction there. Uh, but the other two is this. One is, first of all, is the dream. We're looking at the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Now, this passage reads very differently. If you go back to what we said earlier and what uh, Justin laid out for us several weeks ago, you know, did Nebuchadnezzar actually remember his dream? Like, was it a test? Okay, I want you guys to, to, I'm testing you to see if you know it. That's the only way I'm going to believe your interpretation. Or did he really forget it? Because you can imagine him sitting there on his throne listening to Daniel, and he just, Daniel jumps into the dream and says, oh, yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, that, oh, he's got it. Or, that's it. He's got it. That's what I dreamt, you know, so, so long ago, however many weeks or months this had been. That's exactly what it was. And, and even as he is, in, even as he is re reminding him of the dream, and as he's laying out the dream and giving these details, it all comes back to the king. And he still doesn't know yet, right? He hasn't got to the interpretation. But even when you, when you think about this dream, this, uh, this big image is before the king. And he says, you're looking at it. You're beholding this huge, huge image. Now, we're going to see in Daniel chapter 3, it's likely that we don't see any size, dimensions. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of detail uh, outside of what it looks like. But you see in Daniel chapter 3 that he makes this really huge statue that's, and he gives the dimensions of it. And so maybe in his dream, maybe that's where he, it's likely where he gets the dimensions uh, to build it in chapter 3. But this huge statue, this huge figure stands before you, king, and it is mighty and it is bright. And then he describes it in great detail. He describes it in kind of four or five layers uh, of, of what, it's, what it's made of. And so uh, he explains it in great detail to the king, and the king clearly knows that God has revealed this great God, as Daniel has described him already, the God of heaven, and as he'll describe him again at the end of this passage, this great God in heaven, that he is, he is understanding, he is seeing that indeed God has brought uh, Daniel to him to give him the answer to this question that he has been struggling with. 
this longing that, it, that he has had is about to be answered. Because surely if this, if this Daniel, if this son of Israel can come here and tell me what I dreamed, then surely his interpretation will be sure. As we see there at the end, the dream is certain and its interpretation sure. And so he just goes right in. He tells them exactly what this dream is about. And we're going to kind of put the gospel. Oftentimes we, we preach and we see Christ at the end and we kind of build up to the gospel. But we're going to put the gospel right here in the middle of this text because I love what it says. And it's just so, hopefully, it's clear for you as you see this, as you read it. When you get to verse 35 or verse 34, that this stone was cut out by no human hands and it struck the image and it destroys it. It lays it waste. But then there at the verse 35, it says, But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So this is clearly a, a messianic picture. It is looking to Christ who is going to be the stone that destroys these kingdoms of man. Now go with me to Luke chapter 20. Luke 20 references Daniel. And years ago, we walked uh, slowly through the book of Luke. And in this text, it points us back to Daniel chapter 2. So go to Luke 20, starting in verse 9. We're just going to read this parable, kind of read it kind of quick. Uh, it's a great parable. It's, uh, it is, this is a parable that just you clearly see the gospel in it. Uh, so in uh, Luke chapter 20, verse 9 says this, And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. And when that time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so, th so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also, beat, uh, they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And yet he sent a third. Would you have liked to have been the third servant? Now, you've heard right on the streets. You heard the first two. They didn't just get told to turn away and go home. They got beaten up. And so a third guy goes. And this one also, they wounded and cast out. And then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. Right? And this is, I mean, you just see the gospel just, just, drench, just drench this passage and this parable. That the, the master has sent uh, these prophets, if you will, these other people before, and they are rejected. They're beaten up and they're cast out. And so the master said, well, let me send not just my son, but my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him in verse 14. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Give them inheritance? Give them blessings? No, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, surely not. But it looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this is the part that quotes back to Daniel. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. 
So we see this picture of Christ being the Son who comes. But although He is killed, and although He is rejected by the people of Israel, and although He's rejected, He is ultimately the one who destroys. He lays waste to His enemies. The cornerstone becomes the chief stone. And so this is, uh, we see this picture, uh, this this is clearly uh, depicted in Daniel chapter 2 uh, as we look at uh, as we look at this dream as we look at uh, this 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 image this bright image of this uh, this individual if you will this king that is laid out and it, he looks mighty he looks strong with his head of gold and his 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 body that is made of bronze and his uh, legs and feet that are made of iron he seems unstoppable he seems like a daunting figure, but then out of nowhere, out of this unexpected place, not made by human hands, it says a supernatural stone comes and lays it waste and destroys it. So Daniel puts this dream out there, makes it very clear. There's no doubt that he has the right dream. He's not making up what his interpretation is about to be. So Nebuchadnezzar, you can imagine he is listening uh, intently. He is listening to every word that comes off of Daniel's mouth. So, okay, I've, I've gone down that path, Daniel. I know what I dreamt. You've reminded me, and I can see it again clearly in my mind. Now, what does it mean, Daniel? Please, I have been searching and searching. What does it mean? It's not only do you have this dream, you also have the interpretation. And so, let's read the last part of this passage and then back up and see what this interpretation means. This was the dream. Now we will, now we will tell the king its interpretation. <clears throat> you, O king, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of, the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. So you can see Nebuchadnezzar probably pokes his chest out a little bit. I am the head of gold on this image. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise, arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom. So all these kingdoms are coming after. Strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all the things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and the toes partly of the potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain. And its interpretation is sure. 
So we see this interpretation. And, and if you like most readers, you read this like, what is going on? What, is, what are all these kingdoms? Who are these people? What are they doing? When are they going to come? How are they going to fall? How does all this work together? And I'm going to give you a, a kind of the, a heads up. We're not going to understand exactly what this stuff means. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter on some of these kingdoms and who they are. Because the big picture is it's talking about the kingdom of man versus the kingdom of God. You go there in the back in the very beginning with this dream. We'll see the interpretation in verse 37. There's so much happening in verse 37. It says, you, O king, the king of kings. Now, as a believer, we should hear that. and We should kind of like, that should resonate with us, right? No, Nebuchadnezzar is not the king of kings. Jesus is the king of kings. Now, it probably meant two things to describe to Nebuchadnezzar as the king of kings. He likely was literally a king over many kings as he sought to, uh, to, to, uh, to capture all these surrounding countries and capture their people and capture their kings, that he was likely overseeing and presiding over other kings. But also is probably more of a qualitative statement that to say that you are the superior king. You are the greatest king on the earth right now. You are the king of kings. But it would behoove us not to be reminded of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. It says this of Jesus, this beautiful description of Jesus. He who is the blessed and only sovereign. I love that image. And we talk about the sovereignty of God often. We're going to talk about the sovereignty of God again this morning. But Jesus is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone has immortality. And these earthly kings, these great rulers of, of history, they thought they were immortal. Some, some thought they were immortal in different ways, but they ultimately thought they were immortal. But it is only Jesus that Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy verse 6, verse 16. It's only Jesus who is immortal, who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. To him, to Christ, be eternal dominion. So the, the dominion that Nebuchadnezzar has and the dominion that he cares about. As a king, that's what he cares about is his dominion. He cares about his domain, his kingdom. He wants to know what's going to happen to his kingdom. What's going to happen to him? Maybe how is he going to die or is he going to die? All these questions that he has. And... This is what the interpretation is going to point to. It's going to ultimately point to the dominion of the Lord, the dominion of the God of heaven. And he, again, he gives this nod to the sovereignty of God. It's not only the king of kings to whom God of heaven has given. So the God of heaven, is, he has allowed you to have this. You may think that you have conquered all these surrounding nations. You may think that you are this immortal, wise, great king that has control over everything. But forget not, he has said this multiple times already in the book of Daniel. And he's going to say it again. But it is God who has given you authority. It is God who has given you power. It is God who has given you this, uh, the ability to conquer. He has given the kingdom of power and the might and the glory into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell. He goes on to describe the kingdom and the, the domain that Nebuchadnezzar has. And so it does show that right now in this time of history, he is the, the golden head. He is the one at the top of this, this image that he sees. And it seems that he is almighty and all-powerful. But we know that he is not. We know that his sovereignty is limited. We know that he is mortal. We know that he is a mere man 
who is at the who is under the submission of the Lord. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he's at the top, he's all powerful, he's all these things, but it is ultimately not his kingdom. That he is a, and even scripture refers to Nebuchadnezzar as a servant of the Lord. He is being used by God and however God wants to use him. He is not at war with God because God is always on top. God is always in control. God is always sovereign. He has always been sovereign over every kingdom of man. And so really what this passage is about, this big picture, it's about kingdoms. It's about the kingdoms of man versus the eternal kingdom of God. The kingdoms of man, they, they may seem powerful, they may seem eternal, but they are not. Especially while you're in the midst of it, if you can imagine living in Babylon and living in the, the kingdoms that would follow, you seem like it's eternal. You seem like it'll, you'll be in this kingdom forever. This kingdom will always have power. And who could possibly take down this kingdom? But they are all temporal. How will these kingdoms compare to the kingdom of God? They will not. These other kingdoms, they, they don't know... Um, for sure who these other kingdoms are some will uh, speculate some will say that following is persia and then greece and then rome some would throw in the medes some would throw in these different kingdoms but it really doesn't matter ultimately a whole lot there is a lot of history happening in this passage uh, when you look at the, the all the kingdoms that are represented and the time span that's represented there's a lot of history happening and the vision for Daniel here, and the vision for Nebuchadnezzar, it is one that is looking forward. It is a future-looking vision of what will happen, of what will transpire. Because we see this clearly in what Daniel says here, that these are kingdoms after you. They're coming after you. It's the next kingdom to take power, and the next kingdom, and the kingdom after that will be even worse. These visions look, are looking towards the future, to kingdoms that are to come. And as a world leader here, uh, that may sting Nebuchadnezzar, right? Who could possibly take my kingdom down? He is, as we'll see in chapter 3, we've already seen in chapter 2, when he doesn't get his way, he goes a little haywire. He is an egomaniac. It is all about him. And we're going to see that clearly on display in chapter 3. But the king's dream was revealing that Nebuchadnezzar was just one of many kingdoms. And that none except one would stand forever. So it mentions kingdom, uh, his kingdom and the next and the next and the fourth kingdom. He gives more details about the fourth. But ultimately says there is one kingdom, the kingdom of, of heaven. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And so he is helping uh, he, as he is interpreting this dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is coming and uh, he is, 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 is being confronted with the reality that his kingdom is not eternal, although it may feel like it. It is not going to stand forever. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, they all had their day. They were powerhouse of kingdoms. They were world leaders with ruthless leaders at that. And the kingdoms of men continue today. This is not just Old Testament talk. It's not just a history lesson. Not only do they exist but they still even today fight for domination. Even nations today continue to have conflict. Have you seen that? Are you aware of that? Do you know that wars didn't stop in the Old Testament? That kingdoms and countries and nations and kings and rulers are still tyrants. and They still uh, vie for power every single day. You look at the countless wars in modern history. 
Even today, the constant conflict that we see all across our world. You can look at the news and see Russia at the door of the Ukraine. And who knows what's going to happen? But we know who knows what's going to happen. We know who's in control. We know who's sovereign. It's not the leader of Russia. It's not the leader of Ukraine. It's not the leader of the U.S. It's not the leader of any country in the world now, then, or in the future. It is solely the Lord God Almighty. If the Lord allows for decades and centuries to come, guess what? The world powers of today will shift. It will look vastly different in 100 years or 1,000 years. Because it has changed constantly over the history of mankind. And so if Daniel would have continued his dream, and maybe there had been enough room in his, his vision here, there could have been 20, 30, 40, 50 layers, right? If there were enough elements on the chart. But he mentions these four. There is, but there is a nation that will never be toppled. There is a nation that will never be replaced there is a kingdom that will be eternal and that is the lord's kingdom that is the kingdom of god and you go to verse 44 and you see that again and in the days of those kings the god of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people it shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end it says It shall stand forever. So it's not just this peaceful kingdom that's going to coexist with all the kingdoms of man. It says it will lay them to waste. It will destroy them because only it will stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. And he doesn't repeat it, but you go back to, to verse 35 and you see that stone that struck the image and became a great mountain. And what did it do? It filled the earth. The kingdom that is brought in by the kingdom of the Messiah, the kingdom of God, is not just eternal, but it filled the earth. It is everywhere. And that is the kingdom of God. It is a kingdom that is everywhere, that fills the earth. And so for Daniel... The coming of the kingdom of God, this was a future event. This would happen. One that he and his companions, they had placed their hope in. We often talk about them being the remnant. The remnant, we talk about them often. Remnant just simply means those who continue to, uh, to have their faith and their hope in the Lord. They remain faithful to God, looking for the coming of the Messiah. And so they were looking forward to this kingdom of God coming. But for believers today, the coming of the kingdom of God, it is in the past, it is in the present, and it's also still in the future. For the believers, for believers today, the kingdom of God is not just a future event. We see that Christ has already come. And when he did, he established his kingdom by defeating death and ushering in the gift of eternal life for his people. By the, the mystery of God being revealed in Jesus. When Christ came, he established his kingdom. But Christ, he didn't just come 2,000 years ago, defeat death, and go to heaven, and I'll be back later. But his kingdom still reigns today. His, continu- his kingdom was established, but his, also his, continu- his kingdom continues to grow throughout the earth in the hearts and the lives of his people. And we could talk about the kingdom of God uh, for a long time. And there's a lot of things you could talk about the kingdom of God. And I do love the simple definition of the kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God in the hearts and lives of his people. 
The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God in the hearts and lives of his people. And that is the kingdom of God that we see today. And it does continue to grow because people continue to be saved. And thus the kingdom of God grows. But not only was it established, not only did it continue to grow, but Christ is returning at some point in the future to for all time and will destroy death and sin and reign completely on His throne. That right now, the kingdom of God uh, is present and is very active in the hearts and lives of His people, but also sin is still present. Pain is still present. Suffering is still present. But when Christ returns, He will fully and forever destroy death and sin and pain and suffering and the enemy. That day is coming and we too can be called the remnant because we look towards that. We look forward to that. We believe in that. Our hope is in that. Our trust is in that. That's why we're not dismayed when the world goes crazy. And guess how often the world goes crazy? How many minutes in a day? Someone do the math. That, that, that often. The world is constantly crazy. The world is constantly broken. But that's why our hope is not in this world. That's why our hope is not in politicians or government or our military or money or health or medicine or any of these things. Our hope is solely at the feet of Jesus as one who has established his kingdom, who continues to grow his kingdom and will one day fully fulfill his kingdom. So for believers today, the kingdom of God is past, present, and future. And Daniel ended his his interpretation, just in a, in a beautiful way. Very simply put, there in verse 45, at the end of it, he says, a great God has made known to the king. So this revelation, <clears throat> it was not through him. And I mean, and you think about it, we've talked, uh, Evan talked about this last week, and we've mentioned it a couple times. Daniel could have easily taken this credit, right? Hey, look at me, I've got this interpretation. I'm going to nail it. I'm going to tell you what you dream. I'm going to give you an interpretation. But he doesn't give himself credit. And if there was ever a time to give yourself credit, it's then everyone else's life is on the line. Look to Daniel. Look to me. I'm the hero of this story. But Daniel is not the hero. His companions are not the hero. He says, it is a great God who has made this known to you, King. This great God. He wanted Nebuchadnezzar to see that it was his God. It was the God of his fathers. It was the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that made this dream known to him. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. So he says three things. That God is great, and he says the dream is certain. So there's no doubt that this is what the dream was, and its interpretation is sure. Its interpretation is true. So as a king, ultimately what, what you can apply here, I don't know what you're expecting. I don't know what you're hoping. I don't know what interpretation you're looking for, but this is the interpretation. It is sure. It is certain. As you can, as the king could verify, this, the dream was definitely certain, but now the interpretation is sure. And so this is, this great God has made this known to you. And we'll see next week how the king responds, what happens to Daniel as we continue this narrative in the book of Daniel. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to open up Daniel. Thank you for a chance again to, to see your sovereignty on display. And well, thank you for reminding this morning about your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that 
each of us this morning, Lord, who are yours and have been called according to your name, be reminded of our place in your kingdom and our role in your kingdom. If there's one here, Lord, has never looked to you and trusted you, repented of their sins and, and faith turned to you and believing in the name of Jesus, even now would you do a work in their heart and mind and bring them in repentance to you. Thank you, Lord, as we have a chance to come to your table, Lord, that you invite us to come, to be reminded of Christ, and we'll be reminded of his kingdom this morning, his rule and reign in our hearts in this place. Thank you for this morning. May we respond in faith to you. In Christ's name, amen.